idea what we could say at any given time. Like yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Just don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is we are live. Hello, Alice. Comrade Alice. Um, good to see you, Drugi. I'm here with Hyatt Collins from Cassette Stress, the, the great and powerful. Um, while I am getting this up and going, um, what, what shows you guys got coming up? Uh, so we are playing on Thursday at Dark Matter with LB Bystad and Hussy Fit. So that'll be a fun Hell one. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, that is what's up. Yeah, we've got a couple got a couple more coming up. We plan it um uh July 14th at Far Out Fest, and that'll be at East Room. That'll be cool. Nice. Two more in July too. Bear with me a moment, Alice, while I get the things ready. Oops, that's all I meant to do. We've officially entered summer. Yeah, no doubt. It is hot. <laughs> that, yeah, that was, um, what day was that? Saturday? Yeah. But it, it has been really nice and cool. I mean, we walk outside that morning and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Me and Cordy decided to go hiking. Oh, yeah, right on. In like a heat index of like 106. <laughs> yeah, Saturday and it was, was a mistake yeah <laughs> mistakes were made and then we went to two river skate park and oh, yeah we were there for like an hour or two and oh, yeah <laughs> who all was playing that night it was honey dagger yeah john lean a Numenon, uh, and a bunch of other artists cool. um yeah it's like almost like a festival right yeah have you been there before nope it's an interesting spot to see a show. Yeah. Um, I saw, uh, what was it? Medusa's hairdresser, a Numenon, oh, yeah. and Titans of Siren <laughs> there, but they did it on like, um, on like a landing pad, like a helipad. Yeah. Um, cool. But nowadays they do all the shows in a tunnel, which is still really cool. Yeah. Is it, um, is it like an underpass or is it like a long tunnel? Um, it's kind of a long tunnel. Okay, crazy. Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah, this it does something interesting to the sound too. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's just cool. How do they get how do they get power down there? Good question. Good question. I never thought about it. Yeah. I have no idea. Maybe, they have, maybe there's some like like service building. Anyway. That's cool. Yeah, I need to get it, check that out. Um because yeah, the only um the only other one that I was really aware of going on out there was when Times of Siren played. Yeah, that was a, a crazy show. Yeah, that was like around this time last year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They always put on a great show. Yeah, for sure. I don't know why we weren't able to go to that one. I think we might have been playing that same night. Sorry, Alice, that was probably loud. That was just my microphone. No biggie. You help. I think I got it. Just gonna plug this back in. Thank you. Sure. Oops, I break the cable. Uh, there we go. Yep. All right. We are good. Welcome, Alice to book club we are talking about a clockwork orange by anthony burgess 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 something like that burger One anthony burger all right anthony bourgeoisie <laughs> um in the introduction to this book he talks about how the um original publishing of this book in america took out the final chapter um and it really does completely change mm -hmm. the message of the entire book yeah um the final chapter is him kind of coming to it's it's it becomes like a coming of age story like him yeah. reaching adulthood and if you take that chapter out then it's just him um in the hospital and he uh it, he doesn't have like a um redemption arc yeah he just goes back to being who he was it's a lot more bleak yeah i kind of i kind of like <laughs> yeah i like uh thinking of it ending there yeah because it's uh, yeah it was a little, just um i don't know the tone of the whole thing was pretty bleak and i thought it mm. almost uh yeah, I don't know. Almost bring it back around, kind of like to me in a way, softened the harshness of the rest of it in mm -hmm. one chapter, which I don't know. Yeah. That was a little more effective being bleak. Yeah. I don't know which is more realistic, but that ending definitely hits harder. Um I think the kind of the initial take on Clockwork Orange, at least like the first time I saw the film and I think probably the first time I read it too, um, you're just kind of focused on the depravity of this mm -hmm. character. Yeah. Um, and how, how dark he is for like, I think he's a 15 year old. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a more nuanced take and kind of what the author intended to convey is it's actually a fucked up world that's mm -hmm. created 
this character. Yeah. Um, it's, he's not a, he's not the problem. He's a symptom of the problem. Um, he, so, so I'm going to try and find that part we talked about earlier with, right. um, so there's a part where they're talking about NADSAT, the, um, the slang. Uh, oh, here we go. I found it. Um, What's that on? It's page uh, 129. Um, this is uh, deeper into the book, part two, where he's being re rehabilitated. And um, he says, these uh, Grazny sodding veshes that come out of my Gulliver and my plot. I said, that's what it is. Quaint, said Dr. Brodsky, like smiling. The dialect of the tribe. Do you know anything of its provenance, Branham? Odd bits of old rhyming slang, said Dr. Branham, who did not quite look so much like a friend anymore. A bit of gypsy talk, too. But most of the roots are slob. Propaganda. Subliminal penetration. Um, so, okay, that's not exactly what I thought it said. But um, I missed that the first time I read the book. Um, basically, what I got out of this and if you got something else out of it, let me know. But it seems to me like NADSAT itself is a psyop from the government to make the youth behave a certain way. It, it, could, it could be. I, I interpret it as, I mean, this, this kind of still goes to your, your point about um, him sort of being blown around by you know, all these different forces in the world acting on him but that it was propaganda you know sort of hinted that it's like russian propaganda mm -hmm. that um you know came over from you know from russia somehow got into england and that people picked it up but you know whether or not it was designed to make people um violent or not it definitely you know hasn't had an effect on you know the the I guess just I guess the point I'm trying to make is is that this propaganda you know clearly affected how everyone's speaking or at least the youth mm -hmm. are speaking. I mean that's just another yet another thing that um, show, shows the um, effect of circumstances and the world that he's living in. Yeah, it's a dark setting we find ourselves in in yeah. this like dystopian London. Yeah. Um, I think another part that makes me think that it's like purposely from their own government is um, later on, they talk about how uh, like one of, one of his droogs, Dim, ends up becoming a Millicent, one of the right, police. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he's like, there's no way. How are you a cop? And um, they, they get into how they had changed the laws since he's been in prison mm -hmm. to allow um basically reduce the standards for yeah. you to become a police officer. Right. And I think um, that coupled with the Ludovico technique mm -hmm. that they use on um, our Drew, our humble narrator. Um, I think these are, you know, like it, it's becoming a totalitarian state. And I think they, what's happening is they created a problem with the youth that way they could 
could uh, stamp down with mm-hmm. authority. Um, so I think from the very beginning, he's part of this government manipulation. Um, he's always been a clockwork orange. And right. that, that I think is um, v- various people tell him this in the story, like the, um, the preacher um, yeah. in his prison, he's mm-hmm. like, oh, you poor boy, you're a victim. And then later, um, F. Alexander is talking to him and he's like, you're a, you are a symptom of this sick mm-hmm. system. And every time Alex hears this, it's um, he rejects it. He resents. He's like, I am my own person. Right. Yeah. I did the things I did. And I don't I think the answer is no, he didn't. I think he uh, whether he is willing to admit it or not, he is a pawn yeah. caught up in this this wheel. Yeah. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think the the various shifts that he goes through one from the from the the imprinting that they do at the prison, and then later when he gets um, when he uh, jumps out the window and then has the conditioning removed, it's it's like there are all these different forces trying to you know, push his mind one way or the other and control him for their own purposes. And he just keeps yeah. you know, getting co-opted by one group after another. Yep. He falls in with the, the freedom fighters, these very mm-hmm. um, libertarian sort of uh, individuals. And they end up using him just as the government did. And it shows kind of the hypocrisy of their movement mm-hmm. um, where it's like, oh, yeah, we're all about freedom and fuck the government's oppression. But they they use this this kid as a pawn in their own political agenda. Right. Um, like you said, it's everyone in his life is doing this to him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very dark story. Yeah, it is. Um, <coughs> yeah. The the slang that he i mean I, I think that's probably one of the things that people notice first about this book but that 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 took a little while to get used to um oh yeah yeah it takes a chapter or two before you start to really understand yeah um at a certain point the he a lot of the same words come up again and again oh, yeah, so sure. at a certain point you start to pick up on what's happening yeah um yeah, I think this book could benefit from maybe a glossary in the back, but that would also change the way. Yeah, I guess there's not. Yeah. Yeah. It would change the way you read it, though. Mm-hmm. If, like, I think he does a good job with context clues to help mm-hmm. you understand what is going on. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's, it's definitely off putting it sometimes for sure. Yeah. I think one thing about it that's really effective is that it definitely presents just in the in the way that the language has changed it just it presents a very alien or a just a world very different from our own just through the language without having to straight up you know have a bunch of exposition to describe how things are Mm. and there's something about the fact that he's using this almost whole different dialect made up of all these little bits and pieces just makes the whole thing seem like it's happening in another world where you know a lot has happened to get it to this other state we don't get um like a time frame Mm -hmm. so yeah for sure yeah it with the technology 
being um, not as good as ours mm -hmm. or reduced, it makes me think like alternate history, like mm -hmm. a, a alternate timeline type thing. Could be. But yeah. even that's not really like said point blank or anything like that. For sure. There is on that note, there is a part I noticed. Um, he's talking about, oh yeah, uh, page 127. Um, <laughs> he's talking about so at this point, he is in the Ludovico technique. They have mm -hmm. his eyes taped open and they're subjecting him to these films. Um, and he's describing a World War II, World War II footage. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and it, the way he describes this film, he says, it opened with German eagles and the Nazi flag with that like crooked cross that all Malchicks at school love to draw. <coughs> and I thought that was really interesting because um, I don't know anyone that loves to draw swastikas, but he says everyone in school yeah. loves to draw this. So it's like, how, how much of an alternate history is this? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or it could, could just been, I don't know. A, well, I mean, this was written in the '60s, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of sort of future futuristic things from that time. There, there are a lot of things that happened in the intervening years that people at the time didn't just didn't generally occur to them. Like, you know, I remember. You know, come across a lot more you know, future looking like magazines that they're from the 50s and 60s you know and libraries and stuff like that that talk about the future there's a lot of flying cars <laughs> you know a lot of, yeah a lot of jetpacks but mm -hmm. nothing like you know the computers that we have and the internet and things like that yeah i think there were probably a few visionaries who had some ideas along those lines but not the way it is now yeah um, yeah fewer computers a lot more flying cars <laughs> yeah i think um there's one author that neef always brings up the guy who wrote neuromancer we'll probably do that one at some point oh, cool. i've read that yeah me either but they um it's also like 60s 70s something like that and um i do know that they like splice into the internet Okay. And like upload their consciousness yeah which i'm like well that's probably not too far off from the future we're yeah. headed into um but even that author uh was beating himself up for not catching cell phones he's uh, like he's like how did i miss that yeah 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 <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing um i wonder sometimes like i don't know i feel like we make a lot of advances in certain areas of mm -hmm. our technology and then like other areas we don't advance at all yeah um some of the sciences like psychology really hasn't changed much since like freud and jung um there haven't been like a lot of huge breakthroughs in psychology there's been there have been but like the foundation or like a uh, philosophy can mm -hmm. go back to yeah. like the greek era and that's like it hasn't really changed a whole lot since then yeah yeah for sure yeah maybe it's technology itself that's advanced and it's the sciences that some of the sciences that are still behind it yeah 
Yeah, I think it's, I think there are things that can, <laughs> just go back to my flying car example. I don't, I don't know why everyone was obsessed with that idea, but that, that was a huge thing that people always mm. seem to want to bring into being. But, you know, while I, th I think it's almost less that things are technology technologically possible or impossible, but more that certain things as time goes on prove to be more useful. Oh, sure. Like having a cell phone or being able to, you know, just sit at your house and use your laptop to work from your house as opposed to getting in your, you know, flying car and not running into everyone else who's flying their car. It's almost like we could do that, but it's just impractical. Yeah. It uh we we realized that those weren't the areas we needed to mm -hmm. adapt to. Yeah. Yeah. I think like there's also like a huge element to it being like capitalism where it's like would a flying car be marketable? Well, yeah, obviously people would buy it, but like I don't know, it, it, like um like planned obsolescence, mm -hmm. um like cell phones. Yeah. Um everything nowadays is designed to break. You don't have quality furniture, you don't have yeah quality electronics and it's because why would you make a mm -hmm. something that will last when you can make something replaceable that they'll have to repurchase again mm -hmm. yeah um and i wonder like uh, with flying cars it's like that might be way too practical that might be way too useful for a company to um like maybe maybe all the company all the car companies have gotten together and been like <laughs> okay we can make a flying car but right. let's all agree not to because right. uh people won't wreck <laughs> right people won't get in accidents as much like i don't know something like that <laughs> i think it would be absolute carnage if every person had basically their own plane you know maybe you're right maybe you'd be way worse <laughs> i'm just thinking about like you're on different levels oh for sure so like how would you collide with each other but i guess no it would definitely happen you're right yeah, going into this going into a city imagine rush hour oh geez it's <laughs> buzzing around <laughs> yeah oh yeah not to mention you'd have people like crashing into windows and buildings and oh, stuff yeah. Uh, yeah at a certain point you'd have to be like you'd either have to police it more or it would have to be like um like star wars where you have droids flying everything <laughs> yeah yeah everything's automated yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we've gotten a little far afield, but yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, like, the technology in this, it's like, it's definitely, you know, a few, what you could see in a few years from the mid sixties and, you know, I, mean, I feel like the, the psychological techniques and all that kind of stuff, I mean, that's probably stuff that, you know, the CIA and other people were experimenting with at this time. Mm. So, um, yeah f alexander the guy who wrote a clockwork orange inside the book mm -hmm. a clockwork orange um he talks about how we've seen this in other countries um this is how they crack down and make it a totalitarian state is uh basically saying we've, we've seen all this happen before oh interesting um i'll mm -hmm. see if i can find that part yeah. too but um 
I also thought it was interesting. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the character who wrote A Clockwork Orange is named F. Alexander, and this character, Alex, goes, oh, he's another Alex. Yeah. Um, and I read this, and I went, oh, they're both other Alexes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, F. Alexander, my, my last initial is F. So I F. Alexander, yeah. Alexander F. Yeah, so actually, I wrote A Clockwork Orange. I'm going to take <laughs> complete credit for that. Not this book, but the book inside the book. I wrote that. <laughs> um, oh, I found the part I'm talking about, too. Page 179. Um, uh, recruiting brutal young roughs for the police. Proposing debilitating and will-sapping techniques of conditioning. We've seen it all before in other countries. The thin end of the wedge. Before we know where we are where we are we shall have the full apparatus of totalitarianism um so you have this group in sort of the end of the book that is like they're discontent mm -hmm. and they they see what the government's doing and they consider themselves more or less uh, uh like freedom fighters and they decide that the best thing for them to do is uh use alex as a mm -hmm. martyr yeah um which they get him to um listen to this music that he's been conditioned to no longer like like pavlov's dog right and uh he ends up jumping out a window trying to kill himself and then that doesn't happen he ends up surviving and the government's able to to turn it back again mm -hmm. um which I thought was an interesting thing for this character, Alex, is he like he doesn't care about this game that the adults are playing. He doesn't care yeah. about the state of the world at the end. He's just they offer him music and like luxury, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Oh, okay, cool, yeah, I'll do that for sure." Yeah, yeah. It's very he's very you know moment driven. Mm. Um, you know, and if, if something can, you know, get him something in the short term or get him out of a, his present predicament, yeah, I mean, he, he'll go along with that. It, that's, that's the thing that's kind of, I mean, that, that goes, sort of goes back again to this whole idea that he's just being, you know, mani manipulated by, he, he's almost kind of this person living in the present moment all the time, and just kind of goes along with whatever, but he's, sort of beset on all sides by these forces who are, you know, very calculating, very plotting, mm -hmm. trying to use people for their own ends. And he kind of ends up as, as a, you know, pawn in this because he's, he's not, he's almost, you know, I mean, he's definitely not an, um, a naive character in, in that, you know, he's a pretty, you know, brutal, mm -hmm. brutally violent guy, but, I mean, he's almost naive in that he doesn't, he's not like calculating long term in the way that everyone who's acting on him seems to be. Mm. Yeah, everyone around him has this forethought and he is just living in the moment, which ironically, um, in his impulsiveness, in his um, egocentric attitude, actually makes him very easily manipulated. Mm -hmm. um, in his trying to be himself, 
he actually ends up being a perfect pawn, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Um, I can relate to that. I'm a very like strong-willed person, but I think in a lot of ways that it makes, I'm, I'm an easily manipulated person in the sense of like, for example, um, I'm like, I'm, I'm, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, confrontational. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because when I see an issue, I want to address it. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not afraid of confrontation. I don't shy away from it, which means that if you want to like provoke me, it's like, you know, uh, it's, uh, I'm not necessarily always the most mature in that way where it's mm -hmm. like, um, like instead of walking away from a situation, right. You can like goad me into things. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm like more and more conscious of like sure. times that yeah. this has happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, um, that's sometimes a good way back, back to the character, Alex, he, uh, sometimes a good way to, um, manipulate someone is to convince them that they're doing something of their own volition, I guess. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. There's a part here at the beginning on page 44. Um, something I thought is really interesting. They have this, uh, the milk with knives, the yeah. Malaco plus, <laughs> um, in the, uh, movie, Kubrick straight up says it's milk with adrenochrome, hmm. which Kubrick is always doing shit like that. Yeah. Like, uh, um, the only other time I'm aware of adrenochrome being mentioned in a movie is fear and loathing yeah. in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Um, and they straight up say, which is, um, in, in the book, they call it something else. Mm -hmm. It's, um, they have a there are a couple of things that you can a couple of different things that you can order but yeah they're all it's almost like they're all some of them are some sort of synthetic like synthetic horm i don't know hormone or something um and i i don't know why it just seems so bizarre but um ha having this be in milk which is just Mm. So it's like a like a childlike beverage in a way, um, and then <laughs> you know fortify with whatever crazy drugs that they're putting in there. Just it just made it a little just a little bit more off putting there in are, a weird way. There are certain drugs, and I'm not thinking of any off the top of my head that uh, react better with certain like solvents. Hmm. Um, and I think milk is one of those things that oh, makes things react stronger. Um, but on page uh, 200, um, he's sitting in the, in the final chapter. Uh, we were sitting in the Corova milk bar, making up our Razaduks, what to do with the evening. A flip, dark, chill winter bastard, though dry. All round were Chelovex, well away on milk plus Veloset and synth mask and dream crawl okay yeah so i think i think that's what this word dream chrome yeah or drinkrum i think that is what uh anthony burgess is going for here yeah for sure 
Um, but then Kubrick just outright says it. Mm-hmm. He has uh, the main character just say milk with adrenochrome. Yeah. Which um, uh, I think both the author and Kubrick are trying to tell us something mm-hmm. with this story. Um, it is interesting how timeless this is because it parallels reality. Um, there's not a lot of books like that, but like 1984 mm-hmm. and A Brave New World are obvious examples mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Of a world that's believable. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is different. And it, I think sometimes it takes uh, fiction for us to recognize things about our reality. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes reading fiction can, like obviously um, history is a great tool as well to teach us where we've been and what we're going through now. Um, if you forget history, you're doomed to repeat it. But um, I think fantasy and fiction and science fiction are also useful tools for explaining the world we live in. Um, yeah, for sure. There's um, no way to tell a story that isn't associated with reality mm-hmm. in some way. Um, and I think the best ones are ones that parallel it in like mm-hmm. a purposeful way. Yeah. Yeah. I think if, yeah, because uh, I think through either science fiction or fantasy, you can pull things, pull things out of the details of the, the life that everyone is familiar with and then highlight certain things about um you know, about reality that, you know, are, are a little more stark in, in another, you know, in, in a fictional mm. or in another world. It's not yeah. exactly like ours. Yeah. In a way to um, like tinfoil hat stuff, it is a good way to like get things by. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like um, you can hide things in a narrative um, without saying exactly what's on your mind you can create this landscape and say, oh, look, it's fiction mm-hmm. when you're actually trying to tell like a very real message. Yeah, for sure. Something else I found fascinating about this book is the way he describes um, both dreams mm-hmm. and drug trips. Okay, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is what I'm looking for. No, that's not it. I marked it down. Let's see. Oh, this this is a good one too. Um, and that brought the red out like an old friend. It's just very <laughs> uh, beautiful and disturbing way to yeah. describe violence. Um, oh, here we go. This is what I'm looking for. Page five. He's describing uh, a man at the milk bar that's um, kind of uh, entering one of these experiences. He was in the land, all right, well away in orbit. And I knew what it was like, having tried it like everybody else had done. But at this time, I got to thinking. It was a cowardly sort of vesh, oh my brothers, 
you'd lay there after you drunk the old Malaco, and then you've got the mess hole that everything around you was sort of in the past. You could video it all right, all of it, very clear. Tables, the stereo, the lights, the sharps and the malchicks. But it was like some vesh that used to be there, but was not there, not no more. And you were sort of hypnotized by your boot or shoe or a fingernail, as it might be. And at the same time, you were sort of picked up by the old scruff and shook like it might be a cat. You got shook and shook till there was nothing left. You lost your name and your body and yourself. And you just didn't care. And you waited till your boot or your fingernail got yellow, then yellower and yellower all the time. Then the lights started cracking like atomics and the boot or fingernail, or as it might be a bit of dirt on your trouser bottom, turned into a big, big, big mesto, bigger than the whole world. And you were just going to get introduced to old bog or God when it was all over. You came back to here and now whimpering, sort of with your rot all squaring up for a boo-hoo-hoo. Now that's very nice, but very cowardly. You were not put on this earth just to get in touch with God. Um, the way he's describing, I don't know what drug this is supposed to yeah. parallel, mm-hmm. but um, I feel like a lot of these uh, drug-induced experiences that he's describing are based on some kind of real experience that the author had. Yeah, it could be. Um, I feel like I, I don't, I've never had this drug they're describing, but I can relate to this experience um, in some way, you know? Um, and also, it seems to me that both Alex and his dad have prophetic dreams. Um, because oh, yeah, he, he describes that, um, basically his droogs were going to turn on him mm-hmm. before they did. Yeah. And, um, his dad also says, I saw you. Oh, yeah. at the mercy of these these your your old friends because mm-hmm. he doesn't know that he's still hanging out with these guys okay uh he's like those guys you used to run with i had a dream that you were uh, getting bullied by them hmm. and um so they both had this dream of something that was about to happen yeah so i don't know what that's about but it seems like that's that's both him and his dad yeah yeah the <clears throat> Yeah, and and the, I was just thinking about this as you were reading his description of whatever he whatever this was that he was on, because it's kind of a psychedelic um, sort of journey. But he's saying that he thinks it's sort of a a cowardly sort of thing, yeah. and the one and you know that he tried it and that was not really something that he liked, kind of being disconnected from rea- reality. It seems like the one the 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 things that he the drugs that he goes for in this um, mm. are the ones that make him get out of the world and just start destroying things. So it's like not you know not disassociating, not disassociating, but almost just trying to hype you know hype up reality and go get into all these extreme you know crazy things. Yeah, on that he describes the milk with knives. They call it, he says, they call it milk with knives. Oh, here we go. Yeah. What we were repeating was the old Malacca with knives in it, as we used to say, to sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of dirty 20 to 1. 
So <laughs> it's exactly like you're saying, like these drugs that they're taking make you, um, they, they make you on edge, make mm-hmm. you uh, ready for, if, if not depravity, at least for action. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is also fascinating because they're doing this in a, in an establishment. Mm-hmm. This isn't street drugs. This is something oh, right. yeah. they ordered at a, at a bar. And so that kind of gets into the, the whole PSYOP thing again. Mm-hmm. It's like you have this very influenced youth. Um, sure. It, that that's definitely has some today parable or parallels today. Um, it's funny how timeless this book is. It might be more applicable today. Mm-hmm. Like like 1984, probably yeah. more applicable today than when it was written. Oh yeah, for sure. Because there are things that are possible now that were not at the or I mean the time that book was written, there are things that that were imagined in terms of surveillance and keeping track of information that were, you know, with not within the realm of possibility now, but we have far surpassed anything mm. that was in. 1984 as far as all that's concerned yeah well yeah and yeah another thing that that kind of reminds me of both of the or or is a similarity between these two is that in 1984 there were all the can't remember what term they used maybe it was the proles that were people not in the party and they were just kind of your average everyday people kind of running around living their lives kind of moment to moment and it was you know all the the ingsoc people who were in charge and they were the long-term plotters and here that's kind of a similar thing you've got you know sort of your average people either being you know kind of running around and tearing things up and being crazy like Alex or or victims of people like that and then you have another section of people which are you know politicians and the plotters and people in this and that movement who are who are the long-term thinkers kind of you know pushing your average person around in one way or another Hmm. the movers and the moved Mm -hmm. yeah they also talk about um, his old his old P and M, his parents. They had to. Let's see if I can find it instead of paraphrasing it. But um, when he comes home, uh, yeah, here we go. I don't know that I marked it down, but um, his parents have to go to work. And he talks about um, that there's a law where they have anyone who isn't uh, sick, a child, or with child has to work. Oh, interesting. Okay. And um, yeah. that sounds like 
Stalinist Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wonder if that's kind of part of um, like crime was pretty rampant in that era as well. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's sort of, if this is like, um, like a Soviet Union criticism, like a lot of this book. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, is you have this society that's like, it, it, it seems like if I'm, which they don't get into it too deeply, but it seems like in this world, um, everyone has to work regardless mm -hmm. of how, what their standing is. Mm -hmm. And um, they'll get money and assumably different types of wages depending mm -hmm. on what they do. But it does talk about how there's a law where they all have to work. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And maybe that's, isn't that why, is that not why like Alex and his group are out always trying to rob people and get and knock over stores and get money? Because I guess they're still technically children. So they're not mm. obligated to work so they can. Yeah. They're, they're in a position to do that. Unlike anyone over 18 i guess yeah yeah um it definitely seems that way like that a lot of oh there's also there's a, the other component to that is um like alex has been in trouble before mm -hmm. but it's like juvenile mm -hmm. uh he's not being tried as an adult until he ends up getting someone yeah, killed right yeah for sure um there's a part here about aliens where is it 21 dim kept looking up at the stars and planets and the luna with his rock wide open like a kid who'd never videoed any such thing before and he said what's on them i wonder what would be up there on things like that i nudged him hard saying come gloopy bastard as thou art think thou not on them There'll be life like down here, most likely, with someone getting knifed and others doing the knifing. And uh, let's see. The other smacked at this, but poor old Dim looked at me serious, then up again at the stars and the Luna. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Dim is actually like, like taking an interest in reality right. and like the world around him. And they're like, quit thinking about that <laughs> yeah. like uh let's get back to being hooligans right um <laughs> uh, <laughs> i thought that was interesting it's also like when dim looks up at the sky and wonders what's out there mm -hmm. it felt like he had never thought about it before yeah it felt like that was the first time yeah he'd even conceived of these kind of questions yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the point. It probably speaks to um, a lack of education mm -hmm. as well. Like they're probably not being taught very much in school. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just overall like a really dystopian world we find ourselves in. Um, they, oh, oh, I also I found the thing. Uh, page forty. Uh, I'll put your breakfast in the oven, son. I've got to be off myself now which was true, there being this law for everybody, not a child, nor with child, nor ill to go out rabbiting. My mom worked at one of the state marts, as they called them, mm -hmm. filling up shelves with tin soup and beans and all that cow. So 
they have to work. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they've got the state and they got the state, you know, the state marks being, you know, sort of state and. Oh, like, I didn't even catch that. Like, yeah, like state and stores, like they would have had. In, yeah, Soviet. Yeah. Soviet Russia. And we have a bunch of Russian slang mm -hmm. in here. In fact, F. Alexander talks about we've seen this happen in other countries. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what he's describing is where where the world we're seeing is one where there's um like Soviet regime mm -hmm. in another country and now it's bleeding into mm -hmm. British society. Yeah. Yep. Damn. It's uh it's crazy. It makes sense for the time too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, well I mean that was I mean a lot of you know the the West is essentially um, running around trying to prevent this country and that country from falling under you know Soviet influence. Oh really? So like they're spreading so that like that's that's a real life parable is that they are spreading this propaganda mm -hmm. to yeah. other countries. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because there were a lot of um, so. And there are a lot of, I mean, like the 40, 30s and 40s and 50s, you had, you know, a lot of Europe um, undergoing, you know, various communist revolutions. But I think that started to spread to some countries in, like, in Africa, and I think maybe the 70s, maybe even the 80s, like, it was much later. Mm. But there was kind of this sort of international game of trying to keep um trying to keep um you know russian influence from spreading back then wow so okay so very much makes mm -hmm. sense for the oh, time yeah. for sure okay um there's a part here i like to on page 44 um there is uh da -da -da -da. Trying to figure out where to start this. Um, I'll just start here. My endeavor shall be in the future as stretches out its snowy and lily white arms to me before the nause overtakes or the blood splatters its spatters its final chorus in twisted metal and smashed glass on the high road, not to get loveted again which is fair speeching, but brothers, this biting, oh, this is, yeah, okay, so he's reading a magazine, and it's talking about the youth, mm -hmm. and how this is, um, like, a Christian author talking about how the youth has been infected by the devil, mm -hmm. and he really resents hearing this, because he's like, no, I'm, I'm my own man, right. um, but brothers, this biting of the toenails over what is the cause of badness is what turns me into a fine laughing malchick. They don't go into what is the cause of goodness. So why of the other shop? If looties are good, that's because they like it. And I wouldn't e ever interfere with their pleasures. And so of the other shop. And I was patronizing the other shop. More badness is of the self, the one, the you or me on our Adinakis. And that self is made by old bog or God and in his great pie, in his great pride and redosity, but not the self, but the not self cannot be, 
cannot have the bad, meaning they of the government and the judges and the schools cannot allow the bad because they cannot allow the self. It is not our modern history, my brothers, the story of brave Malenki cells fighting these big machines. I am serious with you, brothers, over this. But what I do, I do because I like to do. So he's very much, he's like very adamant about I am myself. And as we see this go on, he's just wrong. He's wrong yeah. about that. But um, that also seems like a very, you know, he's 15 and it's a very 15 year old yeah. attitude to have too that, no, I'm, I'm everything and no one's telling me what to do. And I'm coming up with all these ideas myself and, you know, don't have the perspective to know that at that time, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it is a very like coming of age kind of story because then at the end of the book, he's talking about one day maybe having kids himself. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll tell them all the things I learned, but there's no way I'm going to be able to explain this to them in a way where they'll listen. Yeah. Like they're going to end up doing all the things I did and yeah. then their children will do those things mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So it is a very much like a, yeah, it's a story of youth. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking you are in control of your actions, but not understanding that you're a product of the system you're in. Mm-hmm. <coughs> part of, I think, adulthood and freedom is understanding that you are part of a cog in a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He talks about uh, why, why don't we question why people are good? Mm -hmm. He's like, we question why people do evil things, but why don't we question why people are good? Which is actually an interesting moral question. Um, I, for one, am very much like a humanist. Mm -hmm. I think people are good. Um, You have exceptions to this rule. Like um, there are psychopaths that just don't care. But I think as a whole, people are good. And when people do bad things, it's usually out of desperation or it's because they are the victims of circumstance. Mm-hmm. They um, hurt people, hurt people. And um, they perpetuate that cycle. I don't know. It's, I don't, we, we have to have laws and judgment in place in society to prevent these kind of things mm-hmm. uh, as a deterrence. But I, I never, I have a hard time blaming people because it's, it's usually... You have to really put yourself in someone's shoes before you can judge their actions. Mm-hmm. Well, he's yeah, and he's he's taking a very a very different view in this, in that that people are not what necessarily one way or the other. That no one's inherently good, and then you have to figure out why they're bad. It's just at some point, you know, you pick you picked one or the other. Right. And there's, um, it, it's almost like he's saying they're, they're just sort of these different ways of going about things. Either you can be good, or you can be bad. They're just different ways, you know, different ways of going about things. And that, you know, to, to understand what, you know, did, did someone choose to be bad? Well, at, at you know, what point did the, did, people who are you know good choose to be good 
Mm. And I'm not saying that very articulately, but but kind of that there's no default state. Yeah, that's just that you just pick one or the other. Yeah, yeah, he that is kind of the the stance he's taking on it because he says um, the state can't have the bad mm-hmm. because it interferes with what they're doing. Um, which is, is very much like you said, like a 15 year old Mm -hmm. thing to kind of take to have. I do think it's interesting. Like when he's, uh, convicted, um, and the police are interrogating him, he's like, I am a pawn. My, my droogs put up, put me up to this. They did all this. Mm -hmm. So he's very quick to shirk responsibility for his actions when it benefits him. Yeah, for sure. He has a shaky sense of self and morality uh <laughs> which again he's 15 so yeah it makes sense um yeah. <laughs> i guess we should talk about the ludovico technique which is kind okay, of yeah yeah that's yeah i think that's the thing that yeah. people probably remember from this book or the, the movie which i haven't seen um the most but that's definitely the image yeah um yeah and actually before we get into that uh you're right that is a big part of the imagery of the movie and i think the imagery of the movie is the imagery of a clockwork orange when people think of a clockwork orange they think of a a handful of very artistic shots Mm -hmm. that kubrick did um they're in the book too but Kubrick brings them to life mm-hmm. and makes them his own and makes them iconic. Um, you know, the, the outfits mm-hmm. are described in the book, but Kubrick mm-hmm. takes a lot of liberties with the style. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that is the biggest difference actually between the book and the movie is the tone and the style. Um, Kubrick Kubrick's Clockwork Orange is fun. Mm-hmm. It's um, the violence is cartoony, mm-hmm. whereas Anthony Burgess's uh, Clockwork Orange is dark mm-hmm. and gritty. And when you, I did hear that the reason the violence in Kubrick's film are so comical. Mm-hmm is that so later on once he's punished for it it's more of a contrast yeah so it's like you're saying it the way alex saw it mm-hmm. versus how what really happened okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, all of the action in this movie in the movie is very like uh it's like a play mm-hmm. it's like a dance okay. um mm-hmm. like when they're fighting uh-huh. everything is like hyper stylized like the kick is like a very dramatic kick and it almost like very clearly didn't connect Mm -hmm. like and not like a poor cinematography kind of way like in an artistic okay purposeful way yeah it's comical even there is um graphic rape scenes Mm -hmm. um even in the film and the way that's done is with a sadistic uh, humor to it. Um, and I think that's what he's really trying to emphasize with this film mm-hmm. is that you're saying this the way 
that the characters are doing yeah it. interesting so so they think this is just sort of a big game and that's almost how it's presented that it's just all sort of a laugh and then yeah. when when bad things are happening to alex that's when it gets really serious yeah okay okay I, yeah I'm, I'm gonna have to watch that after mm. since i since i had had managed somehow not to see that movie up, up to this point um i didn't want to see it until i had read the book yeah good call it's um i definitely you should definitely watch it at some point uh it, and i actually you know you ha you haven't seen it but you you what you said is very true that it actually contrasts with the second half of the film mm -hmm. very well because not only is the violence like playful but it uh there's more colors like mm -hmm. everything is popping and is very stylized and artistic and then mm -hmm. once he gets institutionalized everything's gray and mm -hmm. monotone and it uh that you know actually now that i think about it that's just a kubrick thing to do um 2001 mm -hmm. is very night and day mm -hmm. uh full metal jacket mm -hmm. is like watching two different movies oh yeah 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 for sure um uh, well I, yeah now that i think about it that's just the a thing kubrick does is he tells he has these hard contrasts between the first half and the second mm -hmm. halves of his films fascinating yeah um yeah i think kubrick is one of the only people that can tell a story a different way and people don't immediately get enraged at it um, i'm sure there's lots of people that uh prefer the source material of a clockwork orange or the shining to mm -hmm. kubrick's films but it's more of a controversial thing rather than an outright you fucked up <laughs> yeah yeah right you just did it wrong yeah, it's almost like, well, you've you've created this. It's not like you just went in and tried to make a movie of it and just made a bad adaptation. It, it's almost like a whole separate work that is based on that stands on its own in a way. Yeah, this quote uh, from the book actually fits well with the conversation we're having right now. Um, it's funny how the colors of the like real world only seem really real when you video them on the screen because he's in mm -hmm. he's being induced to I, I guess i should back up and explain the ludovico technique so alex is convicted of murder for and he's going to serve like 16 years or something like that mm -hmm. and he gets two years into his sentence and he finds out about this experimental reform technique and he volunteers for it and basically this technique is they sit him down and make him they tape his eyelids open and they make him watch these films that are hyper violent um and they give him a drug that makes him nauseous and it's classic um what do you what do you call it classic aversion conditioning therapy. yeah yeah uh aversion therapy yeah basically making him associate this negative feeling with these feelings of, uh, with, with, with these sites of violence. Um, and then, the, then they couple in music because mm -hmm. he's a big fan of the classics mm -hmm. and he, uh, 
they like it's specifically Beethoven's Ninth Symphony that um, they they induce mm-hmm. in with this to heighten that emotional reaction, um, which um, that's where we get the term a clockwork orange is um, what they're describing with a clockwork orange is you have this person, this fruit that is uh, completely on a, on a clock. It's, it's completely up to the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what we really see at this point in the story is um, they're able to remove the dark desires that he has and through association so he has to have um in order to not have this oppressive sick feeling that he associates with violence he has to do something good Mm -hmm. um something contrary to his will which takes away his free will right which um there's a character Mm -hmm. the the preacher Mm -hmm. is telling him um you know I, I really disapprove of this technique. And then later on, um, he's telling this to F. Alexander. He's like, the chaplain didn't want me to do this. And F. Alexander says, well, of course he didn't. He's a Christian. And that's, that is very, yeah. Uh, the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. is, uh, it's all about choice and the, the choice of free will. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to discern between good and evil and choosing to be good is uh, the most Christian story. And so he's like, of course, the Christian chaplain didn't want you to have your free will taken away. That's like mm-hmm. and right. antithetical to his belief system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that yeah, that's, that's interesting because, you know, that kind of harkens back to, Alex himself saying that, you know, there is, there should, there is no default that you just, you are choosing one or the other. Mm. And that, um, you know, if you're going to examine why people are good or why people are bad, then you also should, you know, try to figure out why, what makes people choose to be good. And I, you know, and, and in this, like, well, he's, he's been pushed around and influenced um completely in his life but now it's almost like this is the ultimate ultimate control and that they have taken away any you know taking things further than influence into a complete level of control of what someone does yeah yeah and um as we were discussing earlier, I think at least my take on the story is that they've created this fucked up world so that they could introduce mm-hmm. these kind of techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, look what people will do with their free will. Look what right. our youth is so violent mm-hmm. so that they can create the clockwork orange, create this uh, take away free will, take away people's yeah. free will. Yeah. Well, that was also part of the whole idea in 1984 where they were doing things like changing the language. So with the idea being that it would, it would become 
impossible for even for someone to even think of something that went against the party because mm-hmm. they no longer had the language to you know think a, a thought that was you know wrong think that was mm-hmm. wrong kind of the same way of te- you know achieving total control over people uh to achieve your own ends by taking away you know their ability to choose anything yeah there's um man you familiar with Yanmi Park? Mm, uh, she escaped North Korea. Um, she gives lectures. Uh, very powerful, Alice. Um, if you want to cry, <laughs> go listen to Yanmi Park. We'll we'll probably do a book of hers at some point. Um, but she talks about like living in North Korea. Uh, her mother actually believed that kim jong-il could read their minds Hmm. so she would not even have negative thoughts about about the government and she would tell her daughters don't even think yeah ill of because that's just it's hard to imagine and like even put ourselves in that frame of like frame of being Mm -hmm. because like we more or less understand reality a lot better. Uh, But, you know, if you really think that, like that's a powerful thing to believe. Mm -hmm. And it kind of actually has religious connotations as well. If you Mm -hmm. think there's a man in the clouds, it doesn't really matter if you think he's a good guy or not, if he's going to fucking kill you or do torture you, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, But the other thing in their language they don't have a word for the individual. It's, they just have we. They don't have oh, a word for I. And they certainly don't have a word for freedom mm-hmm. or liberty. or. And it is interesting. Like, I just, I only bring that up because of uh, what you were saying. It's like, I wonder how much of our, like, we think in English. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have an <laughs> internal narrative in my head that's in English. <clears throat> Yeah. And that really controls the way you think. Mm-hmm. Um, you could change a language or introduce a new language uh, as a as a way to control people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there is a fair amount of research on that, that. It's been a while since I've read anything about this, but the extent to which the language that you speak and it kind of governs you know how you think about things to you know i think there's there may still be a lot of controversy about that to what it, what if extent that has an effect but it has some mm. um yeah, the way you think about things and certain concepts are influenced by the way things are expressed in the language that you grow up with or you know are fluent in yeah it makes sense like if even if I were to go learn a second language, I'd probably still think in mm-hmm. English, and I don't know how much I don't know how much you can control that or do anything about that, yeah. unless I, I'm sure you, maybe you could train yourself mm-hmm. to think in a second language, but you're still thinking in a framework, uh, in mm-hmm. a culture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess we're all clockwork oranges in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think you just can't you know, <clears throat> un- understand as much as 
you know, about yourself and your environment as much as you can. There are certain things you can't escape about, you know, every, every single, you know, social interaction and uh, that you've had as, you know, up throughout your growing up. Yeah. You know, you can think about it all you want, but there's some amount of it I, I don't think you can escape. Yeah. I think um, you can you can kind of control what you do with that, but you can't control that it has an effect mm-hmm. on you. Yeah, um, that's that's definitely true. There, especially uh, with like uh, the younger you are, mm-hmm. like formulative memories, mm-hmm. like that that will shape who you are. Uh, it's why it's why like parenting and like teaching are like the most important jobs mm-hmm. a person can have. Uh, like shout out to all of our teachers out there, like um it's it's a very underappreciated job um and it's the most important thing one can do with their life uh is teach especially to the young and impressionable um it's a big responsibility um and i think like as a parent like you cannot get it right you will fail um because human error and you really you can just do the best you can do uh and um but but yeah those memories stick with you they form who you are um especially like the trauma dramatic ones you can't really ever get away with that and i think that um i'm not a therapist but i think like that is a big part of therapy mm-hmm. is understanding that like you don't not necessarily escapism but mm-hmm. like you actually conf- confronting it mm-hmm. and understanding that this is part of your experience now mm-hmm. um but you don't have to be a slave to it right yeah it, but also even outside of that i mean you know you've got you know the very language that you, you know, first learn and you know the the social conventions and you know what how people behave um you know when you're a child and how those things like even if they're not explicitly taught them it's the water that you swim in um that those things are going to have an effect on you know just the way your brain even operates and interprets information in the way that i think you you can step outside of it to a certain extent but not completely yeah yeah it's um it's uh, a weird time to be alive. And I think every time is a weird time to be alive. Life is weird. Yeah. But sure. um, the youth coming up now are, uh, they're not in a, a good place. Like they're not as, it's, it's hard to, I can't, I just can't imagine how, how difficult it must be to come be coming up right now, mm-hmm. what to make of <clears throat> reality in the world especially now like we we there are certain pivotal moments in history that like really change the shape of the world and i think we're at the biggest one yet which is ai um the deep fake stuff's getting getting real mm-hmm. it's going to get to a point where you cannot believe even what you see in here yeah because it is mm-hmm. hard it's impossible at a certain point to distinguish right reality from fiction yeah i think yeah. um really the takeaway from 
this does tie back into clockwork orange the takeaway is um try to think for yourself and uh part of thinking for yourself is when you think something think about how you arrived at that think mm -hmm. about um what were the external influences to that led you to think that way yeah 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 I'm well suspicious uh, of any glass of milk that anybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah the milk and the knives <laughs> well uh this has been really fun yeah thank for you sure. for uh indulging in this juicy fruit with me <laughs> thanks for having me yeah yeah man always interesting yeah uh next month we're gonna read annihilation by uh jeff vandermeer it's a newer book it's like 2014 so not newer but newer than this yeah for sure uh i do know there's a film as well i've heard it's not good uh at all in fact i heard that the director of the film watched the movie like or uh the director of the film read the book like a decade prior mm -hmm. and then based the movie off of his memory of that's great <laughs> this 10 year old memory of the <laughs> the book um so it's very loose anyway it's supposed to be uh some government psyop deep state stuff as well except this time with aliens so I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Um, it, you, you should be very well aware of cassette stress at this point. They're um, house favorites here at Rhetoric Rabbit Hole. But if you Can't haven't heard of us yeah. <laughs> as much as I try. No, um, but uh, yeah, they, they're um, one of my favorite acts in Nashville. Um, and if you haven't checked sure. them out yet, definitely do so. Um, I tagged cassette stress in this video. So when you're done with this, go check them out. And then you have Thanks. some dates coming up yeah. again. So we're playing uh, two days from now on Thursday, the 29th at Dark Matter with uh, LB Bicet and Hussy Fit, another uh, couple great Nashville bands. And then we're playing on July 14th at Far Out Fest. And that's a two-day thing. A lot of cool bands. Um, that's one to check out, too. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here, Alice, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks.